Good morning again. How many of you love this time of year? It's cold, it's cold, it's cold. Oh, some of you. Everything is dying, it's cold. Now here's the thing. I used to think like summer was the greatest time of year, like because, you know, it's warm. And then I realized there's lots of bugs, so then summer's not necessarily the greatest. But I've changed my perspective. I believe that every season is actually great. See, it's not the beauty of the coldness or the change of weather. It's the beauty of what God is doing in the midst of it. See, even in creation, God reminds us of what he has done. So as we enter fall and we see everything begin to die, all right? And even in the midst of that death, we see beauty in the colors of the leaves and in the trees. And, and then everything dies. And in the death of everything, what's God do? He blankets everything white as snow. And then what comes after that is flowers and life. And so every season can be a celebratory to what God is doing And so we adore God this morning as we praise Him in song and worship and prayer. Uh, Before we start, uh, I do want to give you a little heads up. Pastor Joe did make it back. Uh, He is is actually with his family now. Uh, So be be in prayer for him as they have, uh, we have been praying for a long time for James, his brother-in-law, and he has passed away. Uh, But here's the thing, we get to adore God here, and he gets to stand with him. So if you join me in prayer before we jump into the Word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank You. We thank You for a God that would save a sinner like me. A God that would create beauty. A God that would, in the midst of the brokenness of the world, send a Savior. And not some animal or simple sacrifice. But God himself would step down as Jesus. And Jesus would give his life. And God, we thank you for that. We thank you that all who have faith in him can have life. Father, we thank you for life. But we also thank you that one day, with that faith, because of Jesus alone, we can stand in heaven before you. And we can worship you like the angels and those that came before us. And we can enjoy your presence like it was intended to be. And so, Father, this morning, I pray that you watch over our hearts, that it's all about you, that these words of Scripture that I'm about to read are your words and not mine. And so, Father, we pray that this morning you were glorified through our hearts and actions. Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Now, last week, we discussed that through Christ alone and our faith in that, that we can be saved. Now, the question we have to ask ourselves is, and it's a good question to ask yourself on a Sunday where what we're doing is spending time giving adoration to God. We are adoring God for what he's done. So if Christ saves us, then what is our response to that? What should we do to adore God? 
Faith in Christ's death and resurrection meant death is, is conquered and our sins are laid to rest. But that's just the beginning of our journey. See, it doesn't just end there. It's not that we're just saved, but God continues to work. See, I don't know if you've looked around, but we do live in a world that is decaying and dying, but yet Christ is moving and God is doing miraculous things. So after his resurrection, he appears to his disciples and he sends them on a mission. And so this morning, we're going to talk about that mission and we're going to talk about why it stands today for us and why this should be our act of adoration to God. How do we adore God greater than any other way? We obey this call to go. See, Christ's authority sends us on his mission guided by him. And the beauty of all of this is that we just get to be part of it. We don't have to think about all the complexities of it or what's taking place. God has all of it in control and all lined up for us, and we just have to be a little willing. So let's read again. I'm actually going to go a little before what Steve read for us this morning. Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now the scene is set. Christ has died. He has returned. And now he's going to meet with his disciples. A meeting place that he had set beforehand. Go here to this mountain and I will come meet with you. Now this is a scene reminiscent of all the way back to the Exodus. As God calls Moses atop Mount Sinai and he begins to give him the law and he sits within God's very presence. There's a direct correlation here that God wants us to see. There he gave Moses a mission. This is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to obey. This is how I want you to follow me. Now go and do it. So here, at the end of Christ's earthly ministry, as he's come back, as he's died, as he's conquered death, he comes to his people once again on top of a mountain, and he sits down with his disciples Now it says 11 disciples. That doesn't mean there were just 11 disciples there. Uh, That means that the 11 were there. But there were a lot of disciples. We don't know the number. But they were gathered there to hear one final mission from Jesus. But here's the interesting thing. Scripture gives us this very open and honest thing. Sitting before Jesus, his disciples doubted. Not all of them. We don't know the number of them that doubted. We don't know why they doubted. But they sat there in doubt. And see, the word that is used here in doubt is used throughout Matthew. And what it really means is little faith. So they were there and the disciples, the people that followed Jesus for years, that saw or heard about his death and his resurrection. And they are sitting before the resurrected Christ with doubt with misunderstanding, with little faith. See, and the weird thing is the disciples at this point 
had heard countless acts of the resurrection. Jesus, as he spoke to the women right after his resurrection, telling them to go tell the other disciples, showing up to more than 500 people. He is sitting on the mountain in front of them, and yet there is still doubt in their minds. See, again, we don't know what the doubt is. The scriptures don't tell us this is what they were thinking or this is how they felt. But it makes it clear that there were doubts. And so I want to put it this way. I want to think about it in modern language, how we would look at it. It's like sitting in church and going, yep, Jesus is real. But never going into what Jesus says to do. Or never really offering our life back to Christ. Jesus is real, but I don't want to do anything with it. Jesus is real, and that's great. But see, here's the thing. Even in the midst of the doubt, Jesus knew. Jesus always knows. Anytime he ever talks to anyone in the Gospels, before they even start talking, he's like, I know why you're here. Let's talk about it. Not the reason they asked the question. If you ever read anything, Jesus, someone asked Jesus a question and he gives him a weird answer. That's because he's like, oh, this is the question you actually were asking me, but I'm going to speak to it. All right, that's what he's doing here. There's, the disciples are sitting around and they're doubting what is going on. And so he's going to reassure them as he sends them out on the mission. Our adoration response to God is that we do this mission. So Jesus lays out, here's what you're going to go do in life now. You've accepted and put faith in the fact that I have died on the cross and I'm standing before you risen and I've conquered death. And now the future is this. This moment was huge. This was God coming down to Moses, speaking it to him on the mountain. See, except this time it's Christ standing on the mountain, sharing with his disciples where to go from here. The relationship with Christ does not end at Him just saying, saving us from our sins, but it has continued throughout our entire lives. The question I think we might ask ourselves in this moment, though, is if the disciples sitting before a risen Christ, visibly seeing Him and being able to touch Him, seeing the wounds that He took on, how can we 2,000 years later feel good about Christ and His power? Like the men and women sitting before him on that mountain were like, I'm not, some of them were like, I'm not so sure. I don't know that I have faith for this. So Christ's response to them is a heart issue. They're scared. They're worried. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to impact the world like Christ has asked them to do. And so this is what he says. He declares to them a profound statement. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. How much authority? All of it. Now, this, is, this is important. All right? he, is, he is talking to Jews, and who has all authority over creation? God does. So now who has all authority over creation? Jesus does. They've been walking with him for years. They've been hearing from him, and he, now he stands before him and he says, I am leaving, and it's about to get scary, but I want you to understand something. All authority has been given to me. Paul in Ephesians states it as this, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. This is what Jesus has been given. 
Now, we, we can read it all throughout Matthew as he talks about being the Son of Man and, and receiving the authority of God. But I want to go all the way back. Let's go all the way back to our Old Testament. All right, Daniel, chapter 7. All right, Daniel's a fun book. You, sh- you should spend some time reading it, especially if you're really good at interpreting dreams. All right, Daniel has a dream in, in chapter 7. He has this dream of these four beasts. And three of them, the four of them are these, these kings that are going to rule over the world. And three of them are these earthly kings. And, and the fourth one is Satan himself. And, and it's going to talk about them destroying each other. But at the end of that, at the end of all of that, there will come the Son of Man. And he will do something pretty amazing. Uh, Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, he says, I saw in the night visions... And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days, that's God, and he was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Daniel, thousands of years before Jesus, telling the people that there's going to come the Son of Man. And Jesus, through all his ministry, kept calling himself the Son of Man. That he would be given dominion over everything. Paul in Philippians declares that God exalted Christ and that every knee shall bow before him. Christ had become exalted. Now as Christ shares this with them, there are two things that become plain to us that we need to take from this. That first, that Scripture has constantly declared and continues to make known that Christ is exalted over all and has ultimate authority. The second is a promise we see written at the end of chapter 7 in Daniel. That the people who follow the Son of Man would inherit this authority. This is a promise that would come for those who follow Christ. As they went out on this mission, authority would come with them. See, that's a unique situation here. Christ has called His disciples to go do something, and He tells them very clearly, all the authority in heaven has been given to me, and now that authority is going to be passed unto you. Now, I'm not saying we have authority over creation and all of those things. What I'm saying is we walk with the very presence of Jesus as we go out. So this is what he says here. What is our mission? What are we supposed to partake in? Now that Christ is exalted... He now has the power to truly send out his disciples. Now, if you read the Gospels, Jesus sends out his disciples several times, and he sends them out, and he specifically says, I want you to go to the, to the children of Israel. I want you to go to your people, and I want you to tell them about what I'm doing. Now there is a shift in this mentality. Now that Christ has been given all authority, he begins to change the scope of their ministry No longer are they just supposed to go to the nation of Israel. Their responsibility is much greater. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Do you remember Daniel chapter 7? Daniel says that all nations will sit under the rule of Son of Man. Every tongue, every tribe. 
And so Christ spent several years teaching these men and women how to go out, how to make disciples. If you want to know how to disciple, it's really easy. Just read the Gospels. What's Jesus do? He spends time with the disciples. He tells them all about the Bible, all right? The Old Testament, that's what he does. He teaches them over and over again. And then he sends them out to do the same. Disciples or disciple making is all about reproducing yourself. I think that's part of the scariness of it. Like, I do not want me to be out there again. But, but, the, but here's the idea, all right? I go and make disciples because I'm a disciple of Jesus. And so a disciple should look like their teacher. And so if I look like Jesus and I say, hey, come follow me, then they should see Jesus. And so then we make that disciple, and what do we do with them? We go tell them to make another disciple. And make another disciple. And guess what? If you're sitting in here, and you have kids, you're making disciples. Automatically. You're forced into that one. You don't have a choice. That is God's calling to you. So Christ has trained and prepared the hearts of these men and women. And he's preparing them for one of the greatest tasks that will ever be asked of anyone. But this is how we are expected to adore God. Jesus saved us so that we can go out and tell other people how Jesus can save them. And that is our role in glorifying God. So now that those who have faith in Christ's death and resurrection now have the authority to go out and do this great work. And so what do we do? We go out and we grab someone. We tell them about Jesus. And then we say, hey, come follow me. See, that's one of the cool things about youth group is we just, I get to tell a bunch of kids, hey, come follow me. Come follow the amazing youth leaders we have. And I take them to the grocery store and make them help me shop. And I go out to lunch with them and I get texts from them all the time and I talk to them. That's part of being a discipler. It, it, it's doing life with someone else. But if your life is focused on Jesus, you're going to make disciples of Jesus. And so for three years, these people sat under Jesus, and they heard him talk, and they saw him teach, and they saw how he healed, and he cast out demons, and how he loved. And so he says, now I want you to go do that to others, and I don't want you to do it just to Israel. I want you to go to every single nation all throughout the earth. But here's the thing, that's a scary thing, right? Like, there's no way I'm going to go tell my friend about Jesus. There's no way... I'm going to do that. We don't have to fear the calling to go. Jesus not only gave authority, but he doesn't leave us alone as we do it. See, we're commissioned to leave our houses and church, go to our neighbors, our family, our coworkers, or maybe even across the ocean to tell people about Jesus. Now, I remember when I first got saved, and I shared some of that story with you last week, but when I first got saved, I was so excited. I wanted to tell everyone I knew about Jesus. So one day, in this, I don't, spiritual high or some stupidity, I don't know what it was, but I decided to sit down and write an email to my family. Now, I have a large family, very large, like, I have like 70 cousins, all right, my family's huge. So I decided to send this email out, and it was like to 100 or so people 
and it was 17 pages. Now, I know no one wants to read a 17-page email. I don't know why I wrote it that long, but I, and I don't honestly remember all of what it said, but I knew remember it being about how Christ had changed me, and I wanted them to know, and I was so excited and terrified and so I sat there like wrestling with this as I'd written it and, and praying over it and be like, God, I don't want to do this. And so finally I pulled the trigger. I sent it out. And then I waited. And I didn't know what at the time I was expecting to happen. Uh, but I knew that I did what God had asked me to do. Like that's what God had called me to do in that moment was to just tell as many people about Jesus as I could. And and I don't, again, remember all that was in the letter, but I do remember the responses I got. I got two. Uh, I'll take it, I guess. One was telling me how encouraging it was to hear it because they, too, had faith in Jesus. And so that was encouraging because I come from a family that went to church but didn't know God. And then I got another letter from someone I knew very well in my family, and I knew that they were a believer. And they gave me the most shocking response I'd ever heard. And I was like, why? But they responded back and said, I would never, ever do this. That's too scary. What if you lost relationships with your family? And I, I was blown away. I was blown away because I knew this person had been walking with Jesus for a while. I knew this person loved Jesus. And the one thing Jesus asked us to do is to love God and then go tell everyone about Him. And I was like, why wouldn't we do that? Why is that scary? Why is that hard? Why can't we do it? Why can't we just walk across the room? Why can't we walk across the street? Why can't we go somewhere and tell someone about Jesus? I get, it's, I get it's terrifying. I get it's hard. It means I have to put myself out there. It means I have to do something that I'm not comfortable with. It means that people may not like me. Jesus is pretty clear. He's honest about it. People aren't going to like you. I believe he uses the word hate. People are going to hate you because they hated me first. But here's the thing. Even in the midst of that scariness, Christ didn't sit up there on the mountain and say, all right, guys, I have all authority. I want you to go and make disciples of all the world. Have fun. He didn't end there. He didn't stop there. And so I don't know why it has to be scary for us because this is what he said. He says, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. The Son of Man who, who saved me, who died on the cross, rose from the dead, conquered death, and was given all glory, spoke to these men and women that He would be with them forever. You go out and you're talking to your neighbor or your family or your friends or some random stranger you met on the street and you say, hey, I want, let me tell you about this God that's changed my life. Jesus doesn't expect you to be alone in that. He promises that He will walk with us. A mark of a believer is one who strives to live a life like Christ. Christ earlier on in Matthew in chapter 5 declared that He did not come to abolish the law, 
He came to fulfill it. And what he expected was we would obey him. How do we give glory and honor to Christ? We adore him by doing what he's commanded. See, I think there's two times, there's like two ways that we can often come to God, and I think both are okay. One is we love God so much, we're just going to go out and serve. And a lot of times that works really, really well. And sometimes we can't do that. And so what we do is we obey God and we go out and serve. It reminds me of when I was young and I, it was dishes night for me. Like, you would expect your kid to just do the dishes out of love for you, right? No, it was out of obeying. Now, there was me who, we had a dishwasher that didn't work. And so when I, it was my night to do dishes and there were really hard dishes, I'd put them in the dishwasher that didn't work. And then when it was the next person's night, I'd be like, I found this dish. I don't know what I was doing. We're like, we had lasagna like three nights ago. I'd be like, I don't know. Uh, but we are called, we can love Jesus. And then sometimes that's really hard for us, not because of anything Jesus did, but because of our hearts and who we are. And in those moments, all we have to do is obey. There are going to be times when you feel the Holy Spirit move within you and say, I want you to go talk to that person and tell them about Jesus. Or maybe it's, I want you to be nice to that person in line, that cashier that's been standing there all day that looks just beat up, and tell them to have a great day. Little simple things. But most importantly, going and making disciples and teaching them to obey. It's not tricky. There's no special formula. It's following Christ and having people follow us as we follow Christ. The Gospel shows us how to make disciples. Christ made so many. And then He sent them out. And they multiplied. So much that I stand here today because someone discipled me. And someone discipled them. And someone discipled them. And someone discipled them. Because the disciples did exactly what Jesus called them to do. And here's the thing. We live in a place where going out and sharing the gospel isn't a life-threatening thing. Go read the disciples. Most of them did not end up places we want to be. But they loved Jesus so much they didn't care. They had so much faith that they knew that I need to go out and multiply. See, the way I look at it is this commission is simple. Because Christ died for me to have life, I want to give my life to Him. And I do that by doing this. Going and making disciples who make more disciples, who make more disciples. And along the way, we tell them about Jesus and we teach them to obey the Scriptures and what God has said to us. And we don't do that afraid and worried and concerned about ourselves because we go with Christ who has been given all authority in heaven, meaning all the hardships that we face along the way, He's in control of those. And so our mission causes us to go to to a place that maybe we don't want to go. Outside of our home, outside of the church. But we must go out. We don't go out afraid and weak. We go out with the very presence of Christ and the Holy Spirit with us. He promises to His disciples that He is going to return. 
And until then, He will always be with Him. That promise doesn't go away. That promise remains for the disciples that walk with Jesus today. So whether we go to the house next door, to the cashier at the checkout line, or all the way across to the Congo, we go with the authority and the presence of Christ. So let's just go. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You would save us through Christ. That He, that he would willingly step down from heaven and give His life for those who have faith in His death and resurrection. And so, Father, we want to adore You by going. And so, Father, we ask that You call our hearts. You make it clear to who we should go to now, today. And continue to pour into our hearts who the next person is and who we should disciple and who we should train. And Father, train our hearts as well. We don't stop being disciples, Lord. And so, Father, we thank you for all that you do. We adore you, Lord. And we do all these things through Christ Jesus. Amen.